Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. going to start with a little survey for those here with us. I just need a little thumbs up or a thumbs down. Are you all, are you scary movie people? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Got a lot of, okay, we got some. Here we go. Okay. So now I personally not into, not into horror movies. Now I have attempted Get Out. I have attempted A Quiet Place. I haven't watched the sequel yet. And I can do those, but I have to be in a, I have to really prepare myself. But my brother, my brother is into horror movies, so he keeps me up to date. And last year, he was very excited about a new version of Candyman. And I particularly found it interesting because I, I saw the cast list, and I really liked the cast. Um, Tayana, I knew her from WandaVision. And Yaya, I knew him from The Greatest Showman. He's also in Watchmen and in The New Matrix. So he's in lots of things. So when I saw the cast, I was like, maybe I could, but it's still scary. So maybe I could. So then I also heard Jordan Peele was a co-writer and a producer. And then I found out that Nia DaCosta, she, with this movie, became the first black female to have a movie debut in the U.S. as number one. So it was a very great horror movie. And I still didn't watch it, guys. I still didn't watch it. But she's going to direct uh, a Marvel movie next year. I will be watching that. She's going to direct the Marvels. So I will, I'll go see that then. Now, Nia said she had never directed a horror movie before, but she was drawn in by this story because she knew this, like, Candyman ghost story as a child. And then she found out about why the first movie was made, and the plot line was actually based a little bit on history. So Candyman is a story of a black man who was seen with a white woman, and he was murdered because of that. So that part was based on something that really had happened, and then his spirit haunts those who deny his existence. That's the fiction. And so Nia brings an updated of the leg- uh, legend to life, um, focused on a black artist struggling to be seen in a white art world. And she said she chose this project because, here's her quote, Candyman has always been about telling stories, how they're important to keep telling, because then they will hopefully stop us from repeating the past. But it also shows how everlasting this pain and trauma are. Now, I would be asking, why do you want to go watch and be scared? But apparently, these scary movies can be actually therapeutic for some people. A journalist for CNET, her name is Kim Wong-Shing, she was trying to figure out last summer why she went and decided to watch a zombie movie right before bed, and she ended up having less nightmares than she usually did. And so she started to research, and she came across uh, Colton Shrivener. She interviewed him. He is a PhD candidate at the University of Chicago. He's studying horror movies, and he's studying morbid curiosity. So she interviewed him, and he said, you know, actually people with anxiety might find scary movies very helpful because it is a way to practice that fight-or-flight fear 
you know, all those feelings that we get when we're scared. He's like, you're practicing it while you're in a safe environment. You can be in your house. You can pause the movie. You can turn the volume down. But you're kind of like dealing with it in a way that you can have some control. And so then he said, then in your, re, in your real life, when things come, it may seem less panic-inducing. So I thought that was interesting. Still not watching any myself, but I'm hoping it's, it's helpful for some, for some people. In fact, they were looking la, uh, in 2020, pandemic life, and horror movies spiked up in streaming. And a number of people watched Contagion. Nope, I started it five minutes in, turned it back off. Too real, too real. So he said, Colton said, the scary stuff has to hit a sweet spot. You have to have scary enough to get your attention and stimulate your fear because then you can come up and then you can breathe again. And that's what's therapeutic, but not so realistic that you actually are re-traumatized. So it would be interesting to me to wonder if right now in our world, is there, is there some war scary movies going on that help people? I don't know. But honestly, today, I decided to talk about scary movies instead of the war again, because it is, it's hard. And I'd rather escape into fiction a little bit as we introduce today. But Nia's hope of telling scary stories in order to consider the past, to change the future, I found it was a good connection with Luke chapter 12 today. And maybe you'll think, why in the world are you saying that? Let me tell you. Today we're going to talk about some scary stories. Jesus told scary stories. And he told them for a number of reasons. But we're going to see through the thread of his conversations today with his disciples, with the crowd of thousands who followed him, he's going to show how fear is used by people in power. He's going to show how fear can get our attention. He's going to say what we should focus on instead. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 12, or we're going to have the scripture on screen. Since September, we have been on a journey of the redeemed. And right now, right now, these weeks Leading up to Easter, we're in the life of Jesus where he is headed to Jerusalem. With every step, with every day, with every moment that we see him talking, he knows the time is short. He's headed to Jerusalem, to the cross, to the empty tomb. And so he knows what's coming and his messages get more urgent. So let's read and examine Jesus' words together today. Verse 1 begins. Meanwhile... When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There is nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
And I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. Let's lay out the situation here. It says that there's crowd, a crowd of thousands, thousands, and they're trampling on one another. This is not a calm setting here. Like we have seen, you know, we pictured Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and how everyone was probably sitting down and just calmly listening. Well, now they're actively trying to get closer to Jesus. They're trampling one another. And why would they be doing that? Because because Jesus' message about God It sounds different than all the things they have been taught. The crowd has been taught by the Pharisees, and they're mentioned here in Luke 12. And as we keep reminding ourselves, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones that were teaching people about God, but they had not always pure motivations. In fact, the message of what they tended to talk about God was, they pictured in this way, they're like, hey, God's angry we Pharisees are the ones he likes. Stick with us. Well, that doesn't, doesn't feel very good, does it? Like, God's angry at you. You have to cling to us, and then we'll all be good. Jesus' message sounded totally different, right? And so here, the Pharisees were telling the scary stories to people, trying to, like, just bully them into following God. Also, the people of Jesus' day, they had other fear to worry about. There was... I mean, when God prayed, when Jesus prayed, give us this day our daily bread, they lived a subsistence life where you had to grow. You had to grow food to provide for your family. And if the weather's bad and your crops are not doing well, I mean, they had to rely on God. There was always fear of what comes next. What if I get ill? Um, The mortality rate the age was very low. You know, what, what if I get sick? What happens to my family? What happens to me? There was fear around every corner. They just lived this life of that tension, that anxiety. And even the people who read the book of Luke for the very first time, when Luke wrote down Jesus' stories, he'd done all the research, he said. We learned that in Luke chapter 1. And he wrote all this down. He lived during a time of like, we're guessing 80, 85 to 100 So already, the people have lived through Jesus' life, death. Jesus went back to heaven. And then the Romans, they took over. They invaded Jerusalem. They destroyed it. And they persecuted those who claimed to believe in Jesus. So this is the kind of fear and the tension that people who first heard these words are like, Jesus is saying the words to the fearful people in his time, the people first reading it. And today, you know, we can all tap into the anxiety and fears that things are happening. And who do we turn to? So that is the setting of this this time of Jesus talking. Now, Jesus, it says there was lots of crowds, but when he spoke, it says he turned to his disciples. So he's like, let's take all this in, and now I want to tell you something here. And I'm going to tell you some important things. I want us to list and go through 
this scary stuff that he's talking about. So he says to be on your guard. Basically, the first thing he's like, watch out for hypocrisy. He's called it the yeast of the Pharisees. Yeast is a very small thing that that changes the entire recipe, doesn't it? And so Jesus is like, watch out, because you can take a little bit of something inside, and it starts to be noticed more and more. When you have selfishness in your heart, and you think no one else can tell, it starts to influence your actions. And so Jesus is looking at his disciples, like, you're leaders. You are spiritual leaders now. Don't imitate these others that you've been seeing. Don't do that. And number two is, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who rule with fear. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. And you're thinking, well, that's pretty dangerous. (laughs) That's all they can do? Kill me? Great. Thanks so much, Jesus. But Jesus says, if you wanted to fear anyone, God is the one in charge. He's the one that has ultimate authority. That's who you should fear. But he follows that up with, but look at the way God treats you. He says he cares about the tiny sparrows. The sparrows were actually being sold when he says here they've been sold for a couple of pennies. They were sold for food. And Jesus kept watch and knew how many sparrows were being traded for food. So even more, doesn't he care about us? Doesn't he care about you and the hairs on your head? He knows. That's the depth of love. And so then when we see this, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge. And it starts to get scary because he's like, well, if you disown. Basically, Jesus is like, choose me. Others are going to pressure you. They're going to come at you. They're going to threaten you. He's talking to these followers. He's like, people will threaten you. Choose me. I want to choose you. Now and eternity, choose me. And then then he says, okay, if you speak a word against the Son of Man, Jesus, that will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. There's some arguments about what this means exactly, and there's some ways that this has not been interpreted well. The focus here is Jesus is like, people can say stuff about me. Don't let that fool you. It's fine. I can handle that. He's like, focus on the fact that I'm trying to do the will of God. And when people care about the will of God, that is what matters. Are they willing to follow my words because I'm following God's words? He's like, that's that authority again. Fear God, right? But he finally says, and in the last point, he says, don't, don't worry, don't fear. You're going to have to defend yourselves, but God's spirit will show you what to say. So here we have this advocate. We keep seeing the Holy Spirit, and he's telling his followers, like, you've got this, right? He knows he's not going to be around to say all these things again. He's going to leave. He's going to die. He's going to raise again, but he's going to leave the earth, and people are going to say things about Jesus and who he wasn't. They're going to act like they knew him. They're going to make fun of people for believing he was ever a leader to follow. So Jesus is preparing them now for what is to come. He knows. He knows they're going to have more fear and anxiety, but he's giving them hope. 
Now, this next section is a parable, and we're going to skip over that right now because we're going to come back and actually do a series of Jesus' parables and storytelling later after Easter. So we're going to get to a section that I read a lot. Maybe you do too. The heading says, do not worry. I often find myself reading and reminding myself of these words. So right now, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. There's nothing I need to interpret for us. No real history I need to dig into. This is what I'd like to do. I want to read this out loud. And if you're feeling anxious or worried or fearful right now, just take in these words. I'm going to read them over us. You can even close your eyes. I just want you to sit and breathe. I'm going to read this. Jesus' words to you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Okay, let's move on to a story that Jesus now says again to his disciples with more of a, this is more of this urgency that we see here again. In verse 35, Jesus tells them, be dressed, ready for service. Keep your lamps burning like servants who are waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. When he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So again, by the time that people were first reading these words written down, there would be, they would have been the church. They've been trying to figure out, okay, Jesus told us to imitate him. 
and we are now trying to live in community as followers of Jesus. We're trying to live as the church. And we find out from other books of the New Testament that within these church congregations, there were servants and masters coming to the same church. So let's think about how they would have seen this parable. This, this par- story right here is a master coming home, and he's, he's filled with joy. He's just been at a wedding feast. That's a very exciting time. And he just says, you guys, you've been doing all the work. Sit down. The servants became the masters. Recline at the table. I've got you. He puts on, he puts on a, I don't know, an apron or something, and he starts serving the servants. Can you imagine how boggling this would have been to the mind to first hear these words read at a church gathering in the first church and to look around and to think, oh, that's, that's an interesting version of servants and masters. But that's how Jesus lived, didn't he? I mean, he could have demanded that everyone serve him, and yet we saw Jesus' whole life would be to serve. His death on the cross was serving us, serving our needs. And so here, it didn't matter what position you had in society. Jesus was like, everyone gets to be served, and everyone's equally valuable in the kingdom, and everyone has to serve. You're not too good for it. So that's a beautiful thing that's, that Jesus is trying to say to his followers, like, if you're going to imitate me, I'm a leader, I'm serving. So begin there, and you're doing well. Look at verse 41. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Like, Peter, he's got the greatest questions, doesn't he? Like, doesn't that, are you talking, are you talking to me? Is this something I have to listen to? I think it's a valid question that we all ask, like, Are these words for us or just for the time? This is how Jesus answered in verse 42, with a story, a scary story. Jesus answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time coming. And he begins to beat the other servants, men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready, does not do what the master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and who does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I didn't love reading this this week. I'm like, that's that's kind of the stories I avoid. It's like the scary stuff or the, the bloody movies that I'm just like not really wanting to watch. I'm like... Why is Jesus telling me this? I really didn't want to read it. So honestly, thinking about the horror movie thing and reading that quote by Nia DaCosta, it helped me. It helped me kind of put that all in perspective because Jesus is a storyteller. Well, when Nia was using violence in the horror movie, she was trying to decry the real violence in the world. 
that was happening to people she knew. Jesus, he's not like promoting this violence here, you know. He's already said, love your enemies, that God cares for the unkind and wicked. But he's using something that's really happening in the lives of people. I'm sure some people who are in this crowd, overhearing his words, are probably, they understand what it's like to serve a sinful master, someone who doesn't care about their value, who does use violence. Jesus, as a storyteller, is using what is to try to say what can be. He uses all kinds of storytelling. And so here he's using broken systems and broken people to say, get down to the final point. From everyone who's given much, much will be demanded. He's calling out the people doing the violence. The people who were supposed to be in charge and weren't taking care of the people they were in charge of. The Pharisees were doing that. Without naming names, he's calling them out here. But he's looking at his followers, the disciples, like, you were going to lead. You can't act this way. I mean, he looks at us. We're all, we are all followers of Jesus. We're all called to care for people. Are we doing that? It's a scary story. People were being held accountable. So as Peter's question was, was it for the disciples? Yes. Was it for the crowds? Yes. Is it for us? Yes. Let's keep reading. Here's some other strange words by Jesus. Verse 49, I have come to bring fire on the earth. How I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus is giving an indication of the things to come for his life. A fire brought to earth, a baptism he had to undergo. He speaks of the cross, and he's just he's ready to be done with it. It's weighing on his mind. Did he have his own fear he was trying to push past? But he said, I didn't come to bring peace. Kind of different than those Christmas angels we hear about. Peace on earth, we sing. Jesus is like, no, that's the ideal. But he knows that people are people. They're not always going to choose to believe that he is God's messenger, Messiah, King, and Lord. And it causes division. We see it, don't we? We feel division, not peace. And we even feel it among people who also claim to believe in Jesus and don't live the same as we're doing. And we wonder. There's pain. There's not peace. Jesus keeps going. Now he looks to the crowd, the thousands of people who had been trampling on each other. He's looking at them and he calls to them. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain. And it does. And then when the south wind blows and you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? 
Why don't you judge for yourselves what's right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Your adversary might drag you to the judge. The judge might turn you over to the officer, and the officer will throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. So Jesus is looking at the crowd here, and he's like, you came. You came to hear these words, and you're comparing them to what the Pharisees have taught you. They are teaching out of fear. My message of God is about how you are to be a light to the world. You are supposed to be the ones modeling God's love and grace and truth and going to tell other people, not to hold it all to yourselves, not to make everyone else scared and make them come to you for the answers. Compare. Judge for yourself what is right. He's like, you can figure it out. It's your time to choose. That's a lot in this chapter. But I keep going back to Peter's question is, are you talking to them or are you talking to us? Jesus' scary stories, they were focused on the religious leaders at the time. They were calling people out to say, do better as leaders. His words were focused on his own followers saying, you will have to do better than this to represent me. And then he was also calling out to the crowd to say, the time is here. The time is here to choose. So is the message for them or for us? Yes. Jesus' words throughout the book of Luke, they're full of grace and they're full of challenge. They're full of expectation. And sometimes expectation, that can make us a little scared. It's hard to have somebody expect something out of you. Sometimes that's hard. Good things still come with expectations. Good friendships, good relationships, good family, good community, good ways to serve and use talents. It's still, there's still something expected of us when we come into these situations. Jesus is good. Relationship with him is good. He put us in community together here as church, and that's good. But there's expectations for us to live out what he said, to serve one another, to be the master that serves the servants, to be the servants that actually humbles ourselves to do the work. So those expectations can be a little nerve-wracking, but from everyone who has been given much, much will be asked. So how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? Every week we ask this question. We're on this journey. We're reading through Luke. It's not just Jesus' life we're looking at. We're looking at us. Today, I feel like our answer is to fear not, but to choose Jesus. Jesus wants to us to choose him despite our fear, because of our fear, to work through our fear. Because Jesus knows that he can redeem the things that scare us, that have brought trauma to us. And in the end, for eternity, his salvation is secure. That's why he wants us to choose him. When we face fearful things like war in this world and division and hatred, hatred aimed at people we love, We're reminded that we don't know what tomorrow brings. So we want to choose today. 
And choose means putting aside the fear. The fear of connecting ourselves publicly to Jesus. I think sometimes there's that fear because we know what people think. How people have labeled Christians. It can be actually fearful to then call yourself one. Is it true? Jesus, like, push past that fear and still choose me anyway. Choose who I really was, not what people, not just what people interpret me as, not what they claim I am. So we're going back to see who he really was here so we can figure out, will we choose the Jesus who really said and did these things? And yes, he said challenging words because he shared scary stories to get us to to wake up and to think and to look at life. But I think because we saw that his whole life was lived in the servant love, then we can accept his challenging words and know they're for our good. That we can realize that the beautiful things and the scary things, it's to redeem us from our fears now and into eternity. Therefore, we can choose Jesus with confidence. I feel it. And that's my prayer for you as well. Fear not. Choose Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, there's, there's just a lot that brings us fear and anxiety and worry. So we thank you for your words to say we shouldn't. We shouldn't fear the things that we do see. And that we can trust in you who we don't see. Even when that comes with expectations on how we live that out. Help us to say yes to you, to to take on the expectations, to take on the unknown of what a relationship with you looks like. We're going to try, Lord. Thank you for being with us, for being a spirit in our lives who speaks for us and who reminds us what is true, who brings us peace in the midst of fear. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.